Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. afternoon and welcome to the 250th Aging Matters program on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. With growing interest in its potential health benefits, medical marijuana use is becoming more common among older adults. Because there is more public acceptance and reduced stigma, it is increasingly viewed as an effective treatment option for this population. Today, my guest is Dr. Matthew Mintz, a primary care physician and internist and author of Medical Marijuana and CBD, A Physician's Guide for Patients. He's going to talk about medical marijuana and related products and what older adults need to know before using such products. He'll also discuss where they can be found and purchased. So welcome, Dr. Mintz, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Good. Well, we need to learn a lot about this uh, this product and this topic, and so we're going to start right in. So first question is, what is medical marijuana and what are the key ingredients? All right. That's a great question. Let's break it down first by talking about what marijuana is and how that differentiates between recreational marijuana. So marijuana is a plant. It's uh, been around for some 30 million years, um, and it has components in it, key ingredients, um, that have a lot of different properties. Um, marijuana can be used as a recreational substance, as it's been used for many, many years, but it also has ingredients that can be used as a medicine, can be used medicinally. And we've been using plant-based medicine for, for, for centuries. Uh, you know, the, the, you know the, some of the, the medicines that we use today um, are even based on plants. So, for example, uh, Taxol, which is a chemotherapy agent uh, that's used primarily in breast cancer, is derived from the bark of the yew tree. Um, a comparable medicine would be the opioid. So opioid medications uh, come from or based out of plants, the poppy seed plant, and you can use those ingredients to make opioids things that we take for pain, uh, or you can use it recreationally, um, which is in heroin or other illicit substances, but they still come from the plant. Um, similarly, marijuana is used both recreationally and used as a medicine, and we can talk a little bit about the differences later. Um, I like to use the term cannabis, though. Uh, cannabis is the scientific name for the plant. So we're talking about medical marijuana, but I will often use the term cannabis as the scientific name because what I deal with is not recreational marijuana, but using the marijuana plant or cannabis as a medicine. So I'll talk about medical cannabis, but sometimes we'll use those terms interchangeably. As far as the key ingredients, there are 
hundreds of biologically active uh, compounds in the cannabis plant. Uh, the main ones that affect the body are cannabinoids. And so the two main cannabinoids are THC and CBD, but there are other cannabinoids that affect the body, as well as other ingredients that also have bodily effects, such as terpenes. Terpenes are aromatic compounds that give plants their smell and their flavor and are found in all sorts of trees and fruits and things like that. So a common terpene in cannabis is called limonene. So limonene is, you know, something that you find in citrus fruits and what gives lemons and oranges their sort of smell and flavor. Limonene can also be found in certain strains of cannabis and that in itself has medicinal properties. So there's hundreds of biologically active ingredients in the cannabis plant. The cannabis plant can be used recreational as marijuana, but there's also medical cannabis that can help our bodies. And so speaking of the bodies, the human body, how does medical marijuana then work in the human body? That's a, that's a great question. So we have lots of systems in our body. We have the cardiovascular system, the heart and the blood vessels, which pumps blood to through the vessels to organs to give, them, uh, give us oxygen. We have the neurologic system, which is our brain and our nerves and helps us function. So we have lots of systems. One of the systems in our body is called the endocannabinoid system. The endocannabinoid system is a regulatory system. Uh, sort of like a hormonal system. Uh, it has substances called endocannabinoids, uh, uh, and the, which are, there's a few of them uh, in the body. The main ones are 2-AG um, is one of them. And they hit receptors primarily on the brain and on the nerves, but also in certain cells in the body, uh, cannabinoid receptors. The two main ones, again, there are two main ones, CB1 and CB2. And so our body makes these substances that hits these receptors, and it's involved in regulatory systems. It's involved in something we call homeostasis. So homeostasis is the scientific uh, term for staying in balance. So the body likes to stay in balance. So the endocannabinoid system is important for things staying in balance. Things like sleep, things like pain, things like body temperature, things like mood, all those things sort of keep us sort of stable, you know, when we're stressed or other things. And so uh, again, this, this system, the endocannabinoid system, has been around for like 600 million years. All vertebrate species have an endocannabinoid system. Um, so, so we have our own endogenous cannabinoids or endocannabinoids, uh, but there are also exogenous cannabinoids, cannabinoids not made by our body. And the, the ones that we're talking about are plant-based cannabinoids or phytocannabinoids. So cannabis, the cannabis plant, has in it phytocannabinoids, again, the two main ones are THC and CBD, which, which hit our own cannabinoid receptors and have some of those effects, some of those homeostatic effects, especially when it comes to inflammation and mood and appetite and pain and things of that nature. So basically there's a plant that has substances that mimic our own body substances that work with our own body system to regulate homeostasis. And then when homeostasis you know, is not present, such as illness, can be used medicinally. Well, if that's the case, then I guess what I'm curious to know is why should older adults consider taking medical marijuana? You've given us all this information in terms of the impact and the effects on the human body. Is it something new to think now about the fact that older adults should be considering taking medical marijuana? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, as old, you know, as we get older, we develop uh, multiple diseases. Um, and so if you look at things that are common to older adults, you know, you think about problems with arthritis and aches and pains. You think about, you know, anxiety. You think about sleeping issues. These are common things that I see in my population of older adults. Medical cannabis actually treats those things very well. Um, what, but why medical cannabis as opposed to some of our other treatments? Well, there are treatments for pain. There are treatments for anxiety. There are other treatments, prescriptions, uh, sometimes supplements, but also prescriptions for these agents. And so one of the benefits, one of the reasons why older adults should consider taking medical cannabis is not only does it help with these things, but there, it also tends to have fewer side effects than some of these uh, other agents. So for example, we'll talk about pain related to arthritis, a common medicine that's used for arthritic pain are uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medicines, ibuprofen, Advil, Aleve. These are all medicines. They're over the counter now. They used to be prescription. They're over the counter. They're commonly taken for aches and pains related to arthritis. They're anti-inflammatory and they're analgesic or anti-pain. And these medicines have been around for years and, and, and patients take them, but they're not without side effects. So, you know, if you take, uh, you know, a leave or ibuprofen in high enough doses or for long enough, it can mess up your kidneys, it can mess up your stomach, it can cause strokes. So it's not, and again, I'm not trying to scare people from taking ibuprofen, um, but you know, there are some side effects from it. And what's great about medical cannabis is not only does it, is it efficacious, not only does it work for these conditions, but the side effects are, are much less, you know, than some even commonly over-the-counter uh, medications. So, you know, cannabis will not wreck your stomach. It will not interfere with your kidney function. Uh, it will, it, it really, there's not a lot of harm in medical cannabis compared to even some common over-the-counter medications. So I think that's one reason. The second reason is that as we get older, as I said, we tend to develop more issues, which often, especially in the United States, leads to more medications. And so one of the problems older adults face is polypharmacy, meaning taking many medications. And in some cases, some medications are used to counteract the side effects of other medications. What's great about medical cannabis is it affects multiple uh, multiple conditions. It doesn't just treat one condition. So you can use a plant-based medicine to treat many things as opposed to a bunch of pills which can interact with each other and may have other side effects. So I do think it's a worthwhile option for older adults to consider for those reasons. And to that point then, what I was wondering is, are the physical and mental responses of an older adult who takes medical cannabis different from a younger person? Um, to some degree, but I think this is the degree that is uh, the same for any prescription medicine. As we get older, our metabolism slows down. And so um, older adults are much more susceptible uh, to doses and side effects of any medication, be it you know prescription medication, be it medical cannabis. And so you have to be a little bit more cautious in older adults because of a slower metabolism when it comes to medications, you know, and, you know, the, the, the resiliency, at least from a biological standpoint, is not necessarily as strong in older adults. So you just have to be more cautious, you know, starting at a lower dose, increasing that dose slower, 
being a little bit more cautious about side effects. So yes, there is a difference, but I don't think there's any difference compared to other prescription drugs that we use. Well, and I'm also wondering as to the different forms of medical cannabis. We've heard about you can smoke it or you can eat it or whatever. And so with that in mind, first of all, talk about the different forms and then how can a correct dose be measured uh, for an older adult and, and what forms are actually used most? It's a great question. So there's lots of ways uh, that medical cannabis can be used. Uh, recreational cannabis, and even in some instances medical cannabis, is smoked. And so while that can be effective, the smoke part is not good. Smoke is not good for the body. So, you know, nicotine cigarettes, for example, have a couple different bad things. They have the nicotine, which can raise your heart rate and blood pressure. They have the chemicals that the tobacco companies add. But then there's also the smoke part. Uh, medical cannabis, there's no nicotine, there's no chemicals. But if you smoke it, you're still getting that ash in your lungs, which is not good for your lungs, not good for your heart. So there are lots of different ways that you can use medical cannabis without smoking it. Uh, one way, a common way is edibles. So they can take, uh, extract all the uh, biological components, uh, put it into a candy or a gummy or a pill, and you swallow that. So that's one way to use it. Another way to use it is you can, it's what's called a tincture, where they take the leaves and they extract the components into an oil. And these are drops that you put under your tongue. Another way you can use it is topically. They're able to take the ingredients and put it into a salve or a cream. So, you know, for pain, for example, if you have a sore joint, you can put cannabis cream on that joint and locally, and that can be helpful. And then finally, inhalation is the bet is the fastest way to get cannabis in your system but we certainly don't want you to smoke or i don't want my patients to smoke so they do have what are called vapes and what vapes are is they take uh again they extract all the components from the leaf into an oil and they take that concentrated oil and they put that into a cartridge and they put that concentrated oil cartridge into a device that looks like a cigarette uh, with a battery and when you inhale it it uh, engages the battery, it heats up the oil, so you're essentially inhaling the vapors of a plant-based oil as opposed to actually inhaling those same components along with smoke. So, so those are the various ways that I prescribe, and there's, you know, there's pros and cons to all of them. So vaping is the fastest way to get cannabis in your system. It's easy to adjust, uh, but it doesn't last that long. Edibles last a very long time. So for people who have symptoms, you know, throughout the day, edibles can be very helpful or trying to, you know, stay asleep during nighttime, you want something that lasts longer. The problem with edibles is it takes about an hour to kick in, which also makes dosing a little bit challenging. Tinctures are somewhere in between where they take about 30 minutes to kick in, last about four to six hours. And then topicals, one of the advantages to topicals is they're not absorbed in the bloodstream. So there's almost, there's no real side effects. It's not gonna make you sleepy, not gonna make you high. So, and generally when I see patients and give them recommendations, it's usually some combination of, of a variety of those formulations. So it's, I don't usually recommend just one kind of cannabis you know, formulation to, to patient. Usually it's try these three or four things to get you started. What determines then how often an older adult can use medical cannabis for health conditions? You're given these different forms and, and how they react and that can they be given for everything or how, how do you then determine that 
when it's the treatment of choice? No, the great question. So it really depends on what their disease condition is and based on that, what their symptoms are. And so based on how quickly their symptoms come and how quickly, how long their symptoms last, um, will determine and what their symptoms are will determine sort of what formulation you use and how often. So there are some people, for example, that every once in a while, they just have problems sleeping at night. You know, they might take an edible on occasion an hour before bedtime. That would be one thing. For patients with severe chronic pain, you know, that are on, you know, pain medicines or even narcotics, you know, and just can't function despite, you know, medications and surgeries and are in pain all the time, uh, they're probably going to be using uh, cannabis multiple times a day throughout the day, usually some combination of, let's say, edibles to keep their pain stable and maybe something that works quicker like a vape um, when they have flares of pain and maybe something topical if there's a specific spot that's more painful than the other. So it really depends on what we're treating, you know, when the symptoms occur, how severe the symptoms occur, how often the symptoms occur. So what I do when I consult with patients, not only do I certify patients, um, but I go over their history, I find out what medications they're taking, what disease conditions they have, and we customize a regimen to that patient. So there's not really a limit to how much or how often that you use. It's really sort of what are your ailments, you know, what are your symptoms, how frequently do you have those symptoms, and what formulations would best get them under control. And are you ever concerned that your patient might overdose or take too much or think, well, gee, if one is good, two is even better, and three might be great? How do you control for that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So a lot of it. So first, let's get into sort of the, some of the safety things. So, you know, when you think of medications, um, you, you know, you want to make sure that, the, you know, the, they're safe. They're not going to kill you. Uh, you have to look at sort of side effects. Um and then also when it comes to cannabis, one of the concerns, because it is, you know, a, you know, has been used as a recreational substance and still federally it's considered a substance of abuse, you know, what's the likelihood of addiction? So let's, we'll get that one out of the way. You know, cannabis is very low level of addiction. So it's not completely not addictive, but it's, it's on the level of coffee. It's about as addictive as caffeine. Uh, that's very, very different than, let's say, nicotine or opioids, whether we're talking recreational opioids or even prescription opioids like narcotics, like Percocet. Those are highly addictive. So from that standpoint, you know, uh, cannabis is safe from an addiction standpoint. The other thing is, is are the medications going to kill you? And no one has died from cannabis. Cannabis is not a lethal medicine. It's very different from the narcotics Um that, you know, that even if one extra dose potentially can kill you. A better example is alcohol. We don't tend to think of alcohol as lethal because most people, you know, if they drink too much, you know, they'll get sick or they'll pass out or whatever. And so we don't think of alcohol as killing you. Uh, but alcohol, if you take enough of it, uh, can cause alcohol toxicity and it, it actually can kill you. And so you hear about this, you know, with like, you know, in colleges when, you know, teenagers are at a parties or get hazed or, you know, they drink more than their system can handle and it can kill them. It can be lethal. And so, you know, we don't think of alcohol as a lethal substance, but it can be. Cannabis isn't that. So cannabis can't kill you. And it's very low level of addiction. It does have some side effects, though. The main side effects of cannabis is it can make you sleepy and it can also make you high or euphoric. Uh, we could argue whether that's a bad side effect or not, but uh, most patients 
that I, I deal with, they don't want to be high. They want to be able to function normally. Um, and they don't want to be sleepy. So, so those are the, the real uh, main side effects with older adults, you know, who are at risk for other things like falls and things like that. You know, we want to be a little bit more cautious. Uh, other things that older adults experience with cannabis are dizziness. Sometimes they can get a dry mouth, but that's about it. You know, feeling high, getting sleepy, dizziness and dry mouth. And the way we avoid those side effects is by uh, titrating the medicine. What I mean by that is starting with a very low dose, a dose that's almost too low to have an effect, and then slowly increasing that dose um, to get the benefits that we're looking for without these side effects. So it's, it's basically the mantra is start low and go slow. And that's what I do with my patients. I not only tell them what to take, but how to take them to avoid some of those side effects so that they can be pain-free without being sleepy or high, for example. And what about the fact that older adults often are taking multiple medications for other conditions, for their heart, it could be a statin or, or whatever. Is, is there a problem as far as medical cannabis interacting with other medications? And might that uh, intensify side effects or cause additional problems? That's a good question. So first of all, I would certainly always consult a physician, you know, the physicians that's prescribing those medicines, or, you know, if you're seeing a physician like myself that, that does, um, you know, medical cannabis uh, can answer those questions for you. Um, most medications have some sort of interactions with other medications. And so cannabis is on par with that, though I would argue has a lower risk for interactions than with other medicines. So uh, when we take medicines in our body, whether it's prescriptions or over the counter, there are enzymes in our body that metabolize or break down those medications so that the medications are not in our system forever and that our body is able to eliminate that. Um, cannabis shares the metabolism uh, uh, with some of these, some other medications. And so if you take medications that, um, you know, share those same enzyme pathways, there can sometimes be an increase or decrease in the efficacy of those doses. So there, there are some theoretic or potential interactions. The reality, though, is those interactions are very low, especially when we're using low-dose cannabis. And so uh, the, the best data uh, that I've seen is in Europe, uh, there's actually a prescription form of medical cannabis. And so the European version of the FDA does studies, and when they do these studies, not only are they looking for does the medication work, but how does it um, interact with other medicines? And so in the studies with patients taking lots of medicines, they really didn't find any medications that needed to be discontinued or adjusted or whatever. So on the one hand, there can be some interactions. Uh, the common ones are things like uh, antidepressants, um, certain ones, not the common ones, uh, medications used for certain fungal infections, medications used for HIV treatments. And these are the same medications uh, that are, are uh, predisposed to interactions with other medications. So it's the, the same list of typical candidates um, are the same ones that we see interacting with, with cannabis. But the reality is, is I haven't really had to adjust, you know, or recommend adjusting medications in, in very, very few patients. Uh, because of concern of interaction. The one that I would be the most cautious with is blood thinner, specifically warfarin or cumin, and that tends to 
uh, you know, interact, uh, and even a slight interaction can cause a major effect. So that's the one that I'd be the most cautious with. But that, again, true of many medications. Okay. Well, we have just heard a lot of really important information about medical cannabis. We are listening to Dr. Matthew Mintz. He's a primary care physician and internist, as well as the author of a book called Medical Marijuana and CBD, A Physician's Guide for Patients. And you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We are having a very interesting and informative discussion with Dr. Matthew Mintz, who is a primary care physician and internist, and of course, he's also the author of Medical Marijuana and CBD, A Physician's Guide for Patients. And we're going to talk about CBD a little bit later in the program. But Dr. Mintz, I wanted to have you talk a little bit more about how medical cannabis is selected as a good alternative to opioids and other pain medications. You did talk about some of the side effects and why medical cannabis might be preferred, but give us a little more information about why you choose that and maybe what cases or what circumstances would it especially be appropriate. Yeah, so this goes back a little bit to the safety issue we were talking about earlier. So opioids are, can be very effective when it comes to pain, but the problem is, is that they're highly addictive and they have a lot of side effects. And not only side effects, common ones being feeling sleepy or getting constipated, um, but at high enough doses, they can kill you. We have an opioid epidemic right now where patients are dying in epic proportions uh, due to overdoses of opioids. Uh, and these are not just patients who are using recreational heroin you know, and killing themselves accidentally. These are patients that are taking prescriptions of opioids either to treat a condition that they're having or because they've gotten addicted to it. And, all, you know, the, all you need to do is take a little bit extra uh, opioids and it can kill you. It basically kills you by stopping breathing. And so there are opioid receptors in our brainstem, which controls our basic bodily functions, heart beating, breathing, and basically the way people die from opioid overdoses is they stop breathing. Cannabis, like I said before, can't kill you. So it's not gonna stop you from breathing. It's also minimally addictive compared to the opioids. So it has pain control, okay, but doesn't have the associated side effects, doesn't have the addictive properties that opioids have, and is much safer in the terms of it won't kill you. So because of those reasons, I think it's a very good product in general, uh, but specifically uh, compared to the opioids, which we have a real problem with right now in our country. I was wondering if there are now specific physical health conditions that are 
should be and can be treated by medical cannabis? That is there any certain conditions that are already designated as okay to treat, or or is it again sort of at the at the discretion of the physician? Tell us more about what we should know in regards to physical health conditions and when medical cannabis would be appropriate. Right. So medical cannabis would be appropriate for any patient who has a condition that causes physical symptoms um, that can be relieved by medical cannabis. And so, you know, we talked about pain, you know, when, when we talked about just now about the opioid use. So any sort of pain condition, uh, headaches, um, you know, joint pain from arthritis, uh, nerve pain, also called neuropathic pain. So any kind of pain conditions, uh, medical cannabis can be helpful for. Medical cannabis is very good for sleep, so issues with insomnia. Um, uh, can be helpful with anxiety, can be helpful with depression or any condition that's associated with those things. Um, other, you know, uh, mental uh, conditions, things like Parkinson's, uh, things like Alzheimer's, uh, things like autism, while medical cannabis doesn't treat the underlying uh, condition, uh, it doesn't treat the disease, all of those diseases are associated with side effects, people becoming agitated, people becoming restless, uh, and people having problems with sleep. Medical cannabis can help with that. Uh, medical cannabis can help with stomach issues, things like an irritable bowel and even inflammatory bowel. It has effects on the guts, gut and can help with patients who have you know, bowel pain or, or problems with bowel issues. So it's, it's really a host of medical conditions um, that, that medical cannabis can be useful for. And again, in talking about older adults, as we get older, we tend to have more and more conditions. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it's not perfect for everything. It doesn't lower your cholesterol. It won't lower your sugar if you have diabetes. It won't lower your blood pressure. But for symptoms connected with certain diseases, especially related to mood, uh, nerve issues, sleep, you know, inflammation, all those homeostatic things that I talked about earlier, cannabis can be really helpful. And one thing I was wondering is whether or not if you have an older adult who has some cognitive issues, would you still prescribe or suggest, because I want to find out whether prescribing is the right term, but if there is some difficulty in terms of maybe cognitive issues that may prevent them from knowing and understanding what they're taking, is, is that an issue? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's actually really complex. So I just told you that, that you know, some of the conditions like, for example, Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, that cannabis doesn't treat that. That's not 100% true. There's some very actually interesting scientific studies uh, with cannabis, uh, both THC and specifically CBD, um, where it can be what's called neuroprotective, um, meaning that it might protect the brain cells. So the, the evidence is very weak at best, so I don't like to make those claims um, because we just don't know. But there is a potential benefit um, you know, for some of those conditions. So it may be helping and we don't even know it uh, yet, um, but, but, but unlikely to harm at least sort of worsen the condition. So the so so on the one hand you can use we'll just we'll use Alzheimer's for example patients with Alzheimer's you know can get agitated uh, they also have some dementia so if you use cannabis to calm down their agitation 
you know, is, you know, they're also at risk for, you know, is it going to cause dementia or make their dementia symptoms worse? The answer is probably not, but you do have to be careful. You know, someone who's confused, if they take too much cannabis, they're going to get more confused. So I, I think back to sort of what we said earlier about using it specifically with older adults. If we talk about older adults with these sort of cognitive conditions like dementia, Parkinson's, I think it can be helpful for some of those symptoms. It's probably not harmful. It may even be disease modifying, but we don't know quite yet because of the research. Uh, but I think the benefit outweighs the risk, but, as well, but, but you do have to be cautious. You have to use it very carefully because these patients are typically susceptible to mental status changes, and so you have to be careful with it. And you're bringing up a really good point in so far as the evidence. And talk a little bit more about how evidence is collected now in connection with the use of medical cannabis and older adults. Are a lot of studies being done given the the legality of this product? How do people like yourself and physicians and your colleagues get the evidence that you need to, so you will feel comfortable in terms of, of suggesting this for your patients? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question and, and a challenging one. So, I, so there is good, strong evidence that medical cannabis is, is effective, and I'll go over that in just a second. But one of the problems is, is that we, sort of, we still lack the robust evidence uh, uh, that we typically use to make medical decisions um, when it comes to medical cannabis, primarily because of the legality issues. So medical cannabis is legal in 36 states in the District of Columbia. However, it is still federally illegal, and that makes research very challenging. So my office is in Bethesda. It's about two miles north of the NIH. Uh, the National Institutes of Health would be a perfect place to do the necessary research for medical cannabis, but it's a federal institution, so they can't study it because it's federally illegal. Um, I'm on, still on faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine, which is a private institution, so could do that kind of research, but most medical institutions are leery of doing cannabis research because a lot of their funding comes from federal agencies and they fear losing federal funding uh, because because of that. So the, the, the research that we typically see for typical prescriptions like cholesterol medicines or chemotherapy agents, we just don't have that level of research that we typically do because of these federal regulations. And we really, that's the biggest change that's needed. We really need to change the scheduling of medical cannabis from a Schedule One drug uh, that essentially makes it illegal to a Schedule Two drug uh, so that it, it can be studied and not, not be illegal anymore. And I think once you see that, you'll see the explosion of research and evidence and, and really acceptance of the medical community. Um, you know, but, but because of the limited evidence, there's not a ton out there is one of the things that inspired me to write a book uh, because it was just hard to find that evidence, especially from a patient standpoint. And so in my search for the evidence, I figured I had done the legwork I might as well share that information with other people, which is why I ended up writing a book. Now, as far as what is the evidence currently, uh, the best thing is that in 2017, uh, the National Academies of Science uh, looked at all of the evidence that had been published to date uh, in a very scientific and, and, and thorough way to determine 
is there evidence for medical cannabis? In other words, are there scientific studies of similar size and quality to the scientific studies we use for other treatments uh, to show that medical cannabis works? And what they found is they found actually that there were three areas in particular where the science was robust enough to support the use in those conditions. And the three conditions were chronic pain, specifically for those patients taking opioid. Uh, uh, condition number two was nausea, uh, specifically for patients taking uh, chemotherapy. And the third one was for muscle spasms, specifically for patients who had multiple sclerosis. So the National Academies of Science, after looking at all published studies and the quality of the studies and the size of the studies and the way the studies were done, felt that those three conditions had strong, robust evidence. Now, that doesn't mean that the other conditions, it's useless. They just didn't figure there was enough studies. So, for example, I think probably one of the most common things I use for medical cannabis is insomnia. It clearly, clearly works well uh, for helping people sleep. There's just not a lot of research studies out there, you know, that are large and robust that specifically studied insomnia. So, uh, so there are many conditions that cannabis treats that we just don't have you know, the scientific, you know, rigor that we would like to have. But to me, because of these federal limitations, the fact that the National Academies of Science indicated that there are at least three conditions that are robust enough. And again, given the safety information that we talked about before, I really do think that there's enough evidence to say that this is a, a valid tool, a, a valid instrument that we can use for patients and treating patients. Um, and, you know, hopefully the laws will change and we'll get more research and we'll find a lot more once those barriers are taken down. We've talked a lot now about medical cannabis, and but I haven't really asked you about CBD, and I'm hearing that a lot. In fact, you go to like uh, the drugstore and you can see it on the counter there. And explain to us, help us understand the difference between medical cannabis and CBD. Great, great question. So as I mentioned at the top, marijuana is a plant. The scientific term is cannabis. And that plant has many substances uh, that affect the body. The main ones are the cannabinoids. The two main cannabinoids are THC and CBD. There are other flavonoids and terpenes that affect the body, but they are derived from the cannabis plant. Um, the CB, and, and so medical cannabis is, 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 is federally illegal and it's medically legal in 36 states in the District of Columbia. Um, there is another plant called hemp that is very similar to cannabis. Um, it's sort of from the same strain or same sort of species of plant. The one difference is that there is very little THC in the hemp plant. Because the hemp plant has such little THC, um, it is legal everywhere in the United States. So when you see CBD, you know, in the drugstore or online or in the radio or at your gym or at the gas station, the CBD that you're seeing is hemp-based CBD, not marijuana-based CBD. And so, so now, is CBD any different whether it comes from marijuana or whether it comes from, from hemp? Probably not. Uh, again, there's no real studies but if you're talking just pure CBD, you know, CBD is CBD regardless of, uh, of the plant that it comes from. The problem has to do with sort of the regulation. So right now, hemp-based CBD, while legal, is still not regulated by the FDA. 
It's in this no man's land because the FDA hasn't decided should hemp-based CBD be regulated like a prescription and so be prescribed like a doctor either over the counter or in a, you know, in a pharmacy with a prescription or is it a supplement? Is it similar to melatonin or vitamin C? You know, can it be regulated that way? And it hasn't decided yet. Uh, but because of that, because of this lack of decision, it's not regulated at all. So the problem is, is you have no idea what you're getting. Uh, most of the CBD, if you see it at the pharmacy, is actually topical CBD um, because the, the sort of the regulatory rules are a little bit different. You don't, the oral CBD, the liquid CBD, the capsule CBD, that's not typically sold at your CVSs and Walgreens and GNCs. And so typically you're seeing that online or you're seeing it in gas stations. And the problem is, is that you don't know what you're getting because it's not regulated. So hemp-based CBD can be very effective, but you have to be very, very careful about what you're getting. You have, because there's no, you know, UPC symbol on it, because there's no federal regulating body, you want to make sure that the hemp-based CBD that you're getting, um, you know, is grown properly, you know, has no pesticides, has no chemicals, has good farming practices, but most importantly, is verified by an independent third-party lab. So not the company that makes it, but a third party that analyzes the CBD so that you know exactly what you're getting and what you're not getting. And there's only a handful of companies in the United States that sell good, high-quality, third-party verified CBD. So I do recommend hemp-based CBD to patients, one, because it's usually a lot less expensive than the marijuana-based CBDs that they can find in the dispensaries, but I also recommend that they proceed with caution. You have to be very, very careful where you get it from. And you have been using the word prescribing sometimes, and and I don't know whether it is prescribing or recommending. So it's kind of a two-part question. First of all, to your knowledge, how frequently are healthcare providers, physicians like yourself, prescribing uh, going back to medical cannabis or maybe even the CBD as a treatment? And and does it vary from state to state? I guess that would be good information right. to know. Right. So that's a good question. I, uh, because this data isn't collected in all places, it's hard to have an exact answer. But one of the things, so like I've said, it's, it, medical cannabis is, is, is legal in 36 states in the District of Columbia. And the process for obtaining it, which we can talk about if you're interested, is a little bit different um, in, in each state, but, in, but regardless of the process, one of the shared commonalities is it has to be recommended by a clinician. And so it's not a prescription. It's not I write down a prescription or call it into the pharmacy and you go to the pharmacy and you get exactly what I recommend. It's actually, I'm basically, you know, again, the process is a little bit different, but as a, as a provider, I'm certifying uh, giving a medical opinion certifying that that patient meets that state's criteria for medical cannabis. So it's basically saying, yes, once you're registered with your state, you can go to a medical dispensary and get product. Now, I personally will recommend specific products. I'll write those products down. You should use you know, this edible and this dose or this tincture and this brand, and here's how to take it. So I write those instructions down. But it's not a it's not a prescription. You know, when I write a prescription for Lipitor, 10 milligrams once a day, the pharmacist can only give you Lipitor or the generic version of that and the amount of tablets I specify. 
you can take my recommendation to the, the dispensary, but they don't have to follow that advice. There's no law that says they have to follow it. So, so essentially most patients, when they get certified by a clinician, it's just allowing them to get medical cannabis. So I give specific, when I certify patients, I give specific recommendations, but there's not prescriptions. The other thing is, is that in order to get medical cannabis, you have to be sort of, you have to be, you know, certified by a registered provider, provider that is, you know, registered to certify. So it's possible that physicians are recommending cannabis as an option for patients, but not all of them are certifying physicians. In fact, a lot of the patients that, uh, that I see are actually sent to me as referrals. They were sent to me by my physician colleagues. They're like, you know, this patient seems to be suffering. The prescription treatments that I'm using aren't really working that well. I think cannabis might be an option. I don't do that. So I'll send them to Dr. Mintz, who I know, you know, is an expert in, in medical cannabis. So I actually get a lot of referrals from physicians. So how many doctors have started recommending cannabis as an option? Uh, there's really, a, I don't know if there's a survey that's been done. That number is increasing, though. More and more as more evidence, as this becomes more commonplace, and anecdotally we're hearing, you know, some of, uh, you, know, you know, profound effects from patients. More and more doctors are starting to realize, you know, even though we don't have that robust evidence that we usually have, uh, that it's definitely an option. So I think more and more physicians are open to the, open to thinking about medical cannabis. Uh, certainly there are clinicians across these 36 states in DC that will certify patients. Um, uh, how many and how often, I don't know if there's data collected on that, but it's becoming more and more common. And when the person is going to go and get the, the medical cannabis, what is the average cost? And I think I know the answer to this question as to whether Medicare or other insurance covers it, but I'm going to ask you, because uh, I've also found like when I do see CBD, I'm not sure about medical uh, cannabis, but it's quite expensive. And so talk about the cost of, of, of either medical cannabis or the CBD. Yeah, your suspicions are correct. It is expensive and it's not covered by insurance. Not only that, but in most states, again, because of the federal, the fact that it's federally illegal, uh, it makes doing business actually quite hard. And in most places, uh, you have to pay cash. They won't accept credit card. They won't accept debit card. They won't accept, uh, they won't accept a check. You actually have to pay cash. So not only can it be expensive, but you need to have cash in hand. And most dispensaries, at least the ones I've been to in Maryland, all have an ATM machine in there because that surprises a lot of patients. Um, so it's not covered by insurance yet. I think that might change one day as insurance companies realize this is a very cost-effective uh, treatment, but for right now, it's not covered by Medicare, not covered by insurance, similar to the medicines that you get over the counter at the pharmacy. Um, the cost varies on how much you use, how much THC is in it, what's the supply. You know, I mentioned things like edibles and vapes and uh, tinctures. Typically, you know, those for a couple weeks supply uh, those range in the $40 to $60 range. Uh, again, and, and often I'll give my patients multiple things to try. So if, you, if I give you a couple things to try, two or three things, things to try, and they're in that $40 range, you know, that can add up to a couple hundred dollars, you know, for a several week trial period. So it, it's not, it, it, that starts to add up. So it can be expensive. That's one of the, the biggest challenges with medical cannabis is, is the cost and the fact that it's not covered. 
I was also wondering when you said a little earlier about you get referrals. I know you mentioned earlier that you're in Bethesda, Maryland. Can the referrals only come from Maryland because of the laws in Maryland or given the fact that we live in the metropolitan area and you mentioned earlier that there's 36 states in the District of Columbia, do you get referrals from non-certified physicians in, say, Virginia and the district or how does that work? That's a great question. So medical cannabis is actually legal in all three uh, territories in the DMV. Uh, It's recreational legal and medically legal in D.C. It's medically legal in Virginia and Maryland. Uh, So for me to certify a patient, I have to be a registered certifying provider. So I'm currently a registered registered certifying provider in D.C. and Maryland. I do not have a, a Virginia medical license. I do not have a license to practice in Virginia. I did very briefly about 20 years ago, but gave that up a long time ago. And so I am not uh, registered to certify patients uh, in Virginia. I do consultations though. Uh, So for example, I should take a step back. Most of the certifying providers to my knowledge, all they do is essentially fill out paperwork. They'll look at your records, they'll interview you quickly and they will certify you. Uh, They do not give specific recommendations like I said that I do for my patients. So I can always do a consultation you know, and I've had this case a couple times for Virginia patients where they found, you know, an online doctor that gave them, that allowed them the paperwork or the card to get into one of these dispensaries to get medical cannabis, but told them absolutely nothing about what they should use and what worked with their medicines and what's the dosing and where should they go and how much should they take. So I do consultations um, for anyone in the country, really. Um, I just, I can't, I can only certify patients in Maryland and D.C. And I was wondering, too, we're getting close to the end of the uh, the interview. I You, again, mentioned about all of these states, the 36 states and the District of Columbia. Is there any uniformity insofar as safety for the products that we're talking about, both medical cannabis and CBD? Does that, because the federal government does not allow it, does it really go state by state insofar as safety? Yeah, so you're correct. So there's not, I would say there's not uniformity because it is regulated independently by each state, but there are some similarities and that in all of the states um, uh, that, that, that medical cannabis is legal, there, there is a huge safety component. And I think that's a really good important part, point that we haven't talked about yet uh, because recreational cannabis, whether it's legal or illegal, uh, can also be used medicinally uh, you know, a state like Texas, for example, someone who wants to use cannabis for their medical condition, it is neither legal recreationally nor medicinally. So, you know, Texas patients can, you know, if they want to use it, have to obtain it illegally. Uh, the advantage of legal medicinal cannabis has to do with the regulations. So uh, they can, you know, the, you know, each state where it's medically legal, there are certain guidelines. The growers of the cannabis have to you know, follow certain guidelines. There's testing, there's oversight. The processors, those are the people that make the, the, the plant into a medicine. There's guidelines, there's processing, there's oversight. The dispensaries, those are the stores where medical cannabis is, is dispensed or sold. And again, there's oversight, there's processes, there's rules, there's guidelines. So while those all of those things probably vary from state to state, there's a lot of similarities. So 
So if you so th there is a, a safety advantage, which is why I recommend using if you're using it as a medicine to use medical cannabis as opposed to recreational cannabis as a medicine, primarily for that safety reason. Okay. Final question, 20 seconds. Best resources to learn about medical cannabis? Yeah, that's a tough one too, because you know, there's 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 everything online, but there's very little uh, that you can find that's good quality information, which is one of the reasons, you know, why I wrote my book. So, you know, if people are interested, I wrote it specifically for patients. It's called Medical Marijuana and CBD, a physician's guide for patients. Uh, it's on Amazon. Um, some of the um, companies that are called that are aggregators um, of the dispensary sites can have some useful information. Leafly.com uh, is um, one place that uh, has some good patient-oriented information, but it's a real big problem. We don't have a lot of resources, uh, to you know, high-quality resources to find out about this information. Uh, I was really surprised, and you know, how little there was, which is what caused me to write a book. So, you know, there's not. A, I wish there was more, but there's not a lot out there. Well, then that's a good reason to uh, read your book, Dr. Mintz. So I really want to thank you. And again, we'll remind uh, listeners that you are the author of Medical Marijuana and CBD, A Physician's Guide for Patients. And uh, thank you for joining us today. And in the event that you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is www.agingmattersonline.com, where you can access all of our previous radio shows, as well as our TV episodes, and log on to Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. If you want to know more about Ink Mouth Media, which is the company that produces Aging Matters every week, you can log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. 